politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property, and our entire human existence. Yes, it is all on the line, a lot more than it was in 1776. Here on October 19th, it is Thursday. And you know what? It's the anniversary, 1781, of Cornwallis surrendering to our guys at Yorktown. Really very uh, auspicious date in American history. And I'm thinking, what is the one central thing we are lacking that we had during that fight in 1776, during the Revolutionary War, the period of time that was before our founding, but after the war, where we had to struggle politically after we won militarily, And that ingredient is leadership. In order to have a vision, you need leadership. Absent that vision, people scatter. You have uneducated people that don't know anything, that are just reactionary. That's a French Revolution. You get nothing. We had leadership, the Sons of Liberty. We had the committees of correspondence in the state legislatures that worked together, formed the Continental Congress, created its own military, George Washington at its head, And against all odds, what nobody thought was possible, they defeated the greatest naval power at the time, or at least fought them up uh, off enough that it was no longer worth it for them. They surrendered there and they gave up their war effort. What we ail from today, everything we ail from, stems from a lack of leadership. So, you know, you look at what happened a week and a half ago. We thought that that would be the cathartic moment in the West. The most gruesome attack on Western civilization uh, in our lifetime in just a matter of a few hours. And yet here we are. We have a Biden administration literally not allowing Israel to even defend itself, to even commence its operation to get rid of the tunnels and the rockets and the underground operations while they're still firing rockets, still holding 200 hostages, including Americans, and still trying to infiltrate. And they still find bodies burned out, eyes gouged out, limbs cut off. And announces $100 million for Hamas. You can't make this stuff up. We're still funding the Lebanese, who, by the way, blinded the Israelis and their intel operation. We basically paid his, well, no, it was the Lebanese military and security forces and intel to catch on behalf of Hezbollah, the Israeli spies, which is why they were flying blind during the Hamas training for this uh, attack in Lebanon, as as reported by the Wall Street Journal and New York Times. We're still, obviously, border, nothing has changed. The visas, nothing has changed. And it's not, you know, you, you might say, yeah, well, this is Biden, but we don't have a leadership calling for it. Or do we? Through thick and thin, there's one person giving a specific vision, the right balance of policies, the right articulation on every freaking issue. And it's not just, hey, finding a guy to talk, which is rare enough, but you you have that before. But a guy who served as the governor of the third largest state and turned a swing state 
into a solid red state, won politically while demonstrating this. As I've said many times, I don't think DeSantis in himself, a leader itself, can't do much. And certainly as president, I have a very limited view of what he can, can and cannot accomplish. But it's the leadership that it spawns. We, we, we have this fractured movement where it's like, well, uh, Republicans are all a bunch of frauds. And then the few people that get it kind of are reactionary to that. And most of those are either grifting or reactionary, don't have their own vision. Just, well, but the media says this, so I say that. And here we are. We have no leadership on the issues. We have no leadership on the speaker's race. We have no leadership in the red states aside from Florida. We have no leadership internationally. We have no vision of what to do with our civilization. So that's why we cannot give up on this presidential primary. It matters because we're always like, well, you know, presidential election doesn't matter, but let's focus on the states. The problem is, theoretically, that's true. Like I said yesterday, create red enclaves, but... We don't have a proof of concept if you don't have leadership. That's the problem. Absent leadership, we're going to have this false dichotomy of becoming European-style politics, which basically means, what does Europe have? You have a left that's transhumanist. You have a right that's left-of-center, corporatist, gay weirdos. And then... All you have in response to that is just reactionaryism, which mixes between incompetence, aimless. They might identify some of the problems with the Uniparty, but they themselves have no vision. Some of them veer into anti-Semitism and all this other stuff. And you're starting to see that now where, ironically, in America now, you have a, a European-style right that's like, oh, I hate the Jews so much that I'm going to side with the Islamists, which is just so weird. Um, you got Tucker and Vivek out there saying we need to basically advocating to restrain Israel from defending itself. They'll tell you they're for non-interventionalism, but what they're actually advocating is interventionalism. I'm advocating non I'm, I'm advocating don't give anyone money, stay the hell out. Um, and they need to do what they do, and we need to follow suit on our own border and done. Now, they'd say they agree with that part, but... What they also care about is the Gaza civilians. And if anyone thought that that wasn't the new current thing, the American Bar Association came out with a statement on the Gaza civilians. So that is the new BLM. That is the new Ukraine. Make no mistake about it. 100% of the media, the global apparatus, NGOs, corporations, it's all the Gaza civilians. So don't give me this crap that Israel, being pro-Israel, is somehow not America first, or somehow uh, is the new current thing. No. No. Again, Ukraine is, is, is a grift. It's, it's a long-standing land war. Donetsk and Crimea, even if you agree with it, there's no amount of money we could send over there that will rest permanently rest Crimea from the hands of Russia. Whereas here, if we would merely reversed the numerous Biden policies that got Israel to where they are and are restraining them from defending themselves, you know, it would be fine. And then we have the speaker's fight. We have the speaker's fight as well. 
there are three options as we speak right now. There are three options that I see. Okay? And I, I look, I warned about this. I warned about not having a plan, not having any idea. There are three options. The, mo- the most unlikely one is that Jordan could somehow still win, but it would only be he would have to grovel, grovel like anything to the Rhinos. Now, by the time you hear this, it could be he'll already drop out. I don't know. But there was already news yesterday that he was trying to agree to reinstate the SALT deduction, state and local tax deduction, because some of the rhinos are from, uh, like, the New York Republicans are from high local tax jurisdictions. So you're basically subsidizing them at a time of, of huge debt. And that's just a harbinger of... At this point, it's not worth a a Jordan speakership. He would be so beholden to those people. It would be the worst of all. We would have to own it as our own, but he would be forced to, you know, govern in accordance with them. But I don't even think the rhinos would agree to it at this point anyway. But if if our guys want to fight on as Jordan is an end to itself, that's what you're going to get. That's number one. Number two is... A lot of Republicans and, and Democrats, they're, they're starting to work with this coalition option where basically they would give them enough votes to keep uh, Patrick McHenry as, as, as speaker long term. And obviously the Democrats would get some sort of agreement with that, which we all knew they were gunning for. They didn't want to bail out McCarthy because they would just bail out the same situation where conservatives had a lot of power over McCarthy. They let McCarthy fall. And then wait, waited until they got really desperate. They badly want want to end this, and then they're going to come in there. Obviously, we got to got to fight that. But that's that's the other. If 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 our side wants to push Jordan, 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 that's what you're going to wind up getting. So to me, I only see a third option, which is going with someone like a Tom Emmer, who is a rhino, but he's very good at whipping, was very favorable to conservatives, and you would be able to reinstate some you know, the contours of the agreement with McCarthy, but do do a better job of it. We're taking one of them hostage to be beholden to us rather than them taking Jordan hostage. To me, that would be a better thing to do. Now, look, if you're like, Daniel, I don't want to grovel. This is stupid. I'm going to fight. Let's just break off from the party. I'm all for that. And you might hear some noise about that. I just don't see them having a plan for that. It's Jim Jordan is an end to itself. It's kind of like Trump is an end to itself. So there's no vision there, no vision. Again, we'll talk about that more as it develops. But I want to get to the fact that the lack of leadership and the contrast between Trump and DeSantis and why it matters so much. We'll have a special guest coming up, a longtime listener of the show who is supporting DeSantis, very involved on the ground in Iowa. And he's going to you know, give us a little bit of a vision why this is not a lost cause. I hear this nonsense. The, the, the biggest thing I hear now is Trump has been so retarded and DeSantis has been such a leader. So all these fake arguments have fallen by the wayside. Now it's just like, it's inevitable, Daniel. We just got to go go with it. First of all, that's stupid because even if it is, like it's a private ballot. It doesn't, you know, you know no one sees who you vote for. I never understood. If you have a rhino running and you have a conservative that doesn't have a chance, why not vote for that guy? It's just stupid. You don't, you don't vote for the winner. But moreover, it's not true. I'm not saying he's favored to win. I'm not saying how likely it is. But there is a path. Inevitability is all built out of, you know, I mean, Trump's path is all built on inevitability. 
And if DeSantis wins Iowa, I'm not saying that guarantees a win, but what that does do is it it slays the strongest argument, which is inevitability, and it's a game changer. Now, he's down in Iowa too, but he's stronger there than anywhere else, so we're going to talk about that path and why it really is so important. First, our sponsor today is Patriot Mobile. Um, while we are groping in the darkness without leadership, you could be your own leader today and support those who share our values. Mobile service is unfortunately one of the vital services you need. I wish we can go without it. But all the three major networks that are a monopoly are horrible, horrible customer service and horrible values as well. Patriot Mobile, if you go to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT, you can get free activation if you use offer code CR. Keep your number, keep your phone, keep your values. They actually fund religious freedom, sanctity of life, Second Amendment causes. So it's not just that they're neutral. They side with us. They're America's only Christian conservative provider. Really honored to have been with them for many years here at The Blaze. Again, they have an English-speaking, 100% U.S.-based customer service team, easy to deal with. They'll walk you through it, 972-PATRIOT. Or if you want to do it online, patriotmobile.com slash CR. Either way, make sure to use offer code CR. So there's a big story that no one's reporting on, and it's very important. We are all pulling our hair out. Oh, my gosh. What is it? We've slept all these years during the primaries. You look in the Senate GOP. They're literally Democrats. As much as we, you know, we're fighting with the rhinos in the House side, but they look like the founding fathers compared to the Senate GOP. Every one of them cares more about Ukraine than America. I mean, except for a few of them, but, you know, overwhelming majority. Democrats have an 85 to 15 majority there. Terrible. Deep red states, one after another after another, has a you know pro-vaccine, pro-Ukraine, leftist, vote for gay marriage, open borders, awful. Okay, I mean, that is everyone on the right. Any person who would entertain voting for Trump would agree with that statement. Okay, I mean, that, that is obvious. So you would also agree that we have a tremendous amount of work to do that At least we should have it ironclad that henceforth any red state Senate seat that comes up should be not so unlike Mitch McConnell, right? I mean, that's pretty universal. Even if you subscribe to this business that in a swing state you you need someone like that, which I don't necessarily agree with, but okay, certainly in a red state, you're definitely going to go forward ironclad, no more rhinos. And we have an amazing weapon to ensure that occurs. Donald J. Trump. There's nobody who has greater clout in a primary than he does. Well, you just get Trump to support the more conservative guy in every red state Senate seat, and I I would argue, more importantly, gubernatorial seat. But one after another, one after another over the last six, seven years, Trump has endorsed Every single incumbent, every single, if, it, if it's not an incumbent Republican, meaning either it's a Democrat seat or an open seat, he supports the guy with the most name ID and the most establishment backing. Um, we, we needed Trump precisely to be the equalizer for the people that don't have a voice, that don't have the money, that don't have the connections to K Street and the industries. Men of the people, populism. Okay. But of course, as we know, Nine times out of ten, 
he not only doesn't endorse his own supporters, he endorses the establishment. Well, Daniel, that was then. Now he's in uh, in a state of war with the rhinos. Now he's learned his lesson. You know, he was president back then. He had to keep the party together. Okay. We have a seat in West Virginia. West Virginia has become so red that the Democrat brand is dirt. So there's literally only, you know, you can count on one hand the number of Democrats left in each chamber of the legislature there. So you have this anomaly with Joe Manchin, who's technically a Democrat, kind of straddling the fence, still a senator, but he's up, he's in cycle for re-election. And then you have a race for that seat. Now, as you all know, I am not doing this because, oh, I hate Trump, so I'm retroactively trying to dig up stuff on it. As you well know, I've been talking about Jim Justice for years. He is the sitting governor of West Virginia. Now, he's not even a Mitch McConnell. He is literally a Democrat, okay? He is a literal Democrat. Those of you who are in the South could appreciate this. As you well know, once we had the realignment of American politics where the North went Dem and the South went Republican, so what a lot of a lot of Southern Democrats did, and, and I consider for these purposes that we're going to consider West Virginia a Southern state for, for these purposes, because it is in that respect— a bunch of Democrats just decided to change parties. Now, we are all in favor of people who see the light, but but most of the time, that's not what's happening there. What what happens is that they might say they're, they're against abortion and they're for lower taxes, but in general, all the corporate stuff, all the issues we care about, they're, they're the same Democrats, and they're horrible, and they serve as snakes in the grass to under, undermine the Republican conference. In other words, it would actually better, be better if they would stay Democrats, then we'd defeat them, rather than them turning into Republicans. Oh, now it's a Republican, now we don't have to engage in a primary, we won the seat. So Jim Justice is sitting governor under Trump, he became a Republican, kissed Trump's rear end, we talked a lot about this rhinos kissing his rear end. This was a level over. You had a Democrat kissing his rear end who was like, hey, you know, the Democrat brand is mud. Trump is well-liked in West Virginia, obviously. So I'll just embrace Trump. And he is horrible. He locked down his state like a freaking animal. He masked his state. I mean, West Virginia may as well be San Francisco. I, I, I said that exact term throughout 2020, 2021, I even did a show at the beginning of this year when a woman lost her job in West Virginia because of a hospital mass mandate this late in the game. I was thinking of moving over to West Virginia from Maryland. But to be fair, as much as we called Larry Hogan, who was a rhino, locked down Larry, justice was 10 times worse. West Virginia was worse. He was to the left of Biden, when Biden said, you know, the emergency is over, he said, what a buffoon. How dare you say that? We need more vaccines. Animal, that guy. He got three shots, then got COVID, got deathly ill from COVID, despite or because of the shots. And then he goes and gets the monoclonal antibodies and then cancels the monoclonal antibodies after he got them and then credited the vaccine for, for staying alive. And, and he's just, I mean, those of you who are in my West Virginia team, you know this in the legislature, he blocked any ability to even have, like, modest changes to emergency powers 
He's a green energy whore. He's a corporate whore. He gave West Virginia resources for Ukraine. Total leftist. He would fit in from day one, not with the Mike Lee, Rand Paul, Ron Johnson, Ted Cruz, you know, J.D. Vance, Josh Hawley types, Ted Budd. It would be straight up with the Tillis, Thune, Cornyn, McConnell guys from day one. And, and very much like the senior senator, Shelley Moore Capito, who's a complete leftist Republican. That's what we have from West Virginia. Alex Mooney, I'm not sure if he's in the Freedom Caucus, if he's borderline Freedom Caucus. He's not kind of top tier, but he's a Republican and you know better than average, at least in the Senate. Not some extremist, not so that easy just support him. Trump endorses justice yesterday because he says nice things. I, I, I just don't know what to say anymore. I don't know what to say anymore. Nothing matters. By the way, Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney. There's a biography coming out uh, on him, and he commented on all sorts of Republican leaders and trash talk them. Here's what he said about DeSantis. There's just no warmth at all. He looks like he's got a toothache when he takes selfies with people. He's much smarter than Trump. You might point out, um, DeSantis is real smart. Do you want an authoritarian who's smart or who's not smart? I realize there's a peril to having someone who's smart and pulling in a direction that's dangerous. So, obviously, there are people on our side that are incapable of judging the merits of, of, of an issue in itself. It has to be the ricochet reaction of, oh, what is the other side saying? Because I can't wipe my rear end without looking at the Democrats and the media knowing who's going to bet. So I have to see what, the, what, what our opponents are saying. Well, Mitt Romney's like a Democrat. Well, here you have it. He is telling you exactly the truth. From his perspective, he would rather have Trump because I'd rather have a guy that claims to be in a direction I don't like, but he can't shoot straight than someone who can shoot straight and he'll show leadership and he's smart about it and he'll get it done. So, again, I don't need Mitt Romney to tell me that from his perspective, but our side tends to like that, so there, there you have it. Kind of like, oh, gee, I, I don't know. I never heard of Israel versus the Arabs and the Europeans and the UN, and I don't know. The media is being a little bit too sympathetic after the Jewish Holocaust. I mean, there must be something there. And like, well, now you got 100% of the media siding with Gaza, so... So is that enough? Unbelievable. Unfreaking believable. And by the way, interesting thing, there's this big story, and kudos to the Daily Wire for doing this. It was a good report uh, by one of their reporters, uh, Luke uh, Rosiak had this expose on a pro, a PLO, former spokeswoman for the PLO, who's living in the U.S., and not only worked in government, but worked in the office of DHS that gets to determine the status of asylum seekers. We talk about all the Muslim immigration. So we let in a PLO official who then... Worked in DHS. DHS is saturated with the Muslim Brotherhood. Saturated with it. And Trump never cleaned it out. So anyway, everyone's talking about, you know, she said F Israel and any Jew who supports Israel. Um, she posted pictures of Hamas terrorists parachuting with guns. 
And she literally works in that DHS asylum office. Um, Nejwa Ali worked in 2016-2017 as a public affairs office for the Palestinian delegation to the U.S. And that office was expelled from the country. To be fair, Trump did expel that office, so that was a good thing he did. But then she landed a job at DHS. And, you know, and, and basically, Daily Wire did an article, others did an article, what the heck, we have a freaking genocidal Hamas person, literally there, great article, and so officially she's put on leave, she was suspended from her job. Now, again, there's so many more where she came from in DHS, State Department, Pentagon, everywhere really, Treasury, um, and particularly those connected to both the Muslim Brotherhood and Iran. And the Lebanese Hezbollah, it's a whole nother thing. Uh, Tony Badrin has a great article on that at, at Tablet Magazine. So, but there, but it's interesting. Everyone beats around the bush. Everyone beats around the bush. Yes, it was appalling that she had a job in the Biden administration. But she got that do- job at DHS under Trump. They bury the lead. This is the problem. Do, do I think Trump wanted someone like that in his government? No. But this is the the guy cannot shoot straight. DeSantis would have the right people in there that would ensure that any of that is flagged. If you have any background with pro-Palestinian stuff, you are out. That wouldn't get off the ground. Only the best and brightest. See what I mean? We're just the Keystone cops. We can't shoot straight. We don't know what we believe. We got to look towards the media and the Democrats and do a reactionary ricochet to, to discover and ascertain what we think in our own recesses of our heart. Come on. There's one man who knows what he believes, both principally and specifically in how to get it done. There's proof of concept where everyone else failed. They were taken in by federal cash. They were taken in by corporate politics. They were taken in by calls of racists. You know, like with the getting rid of the African-American studies, he just doesn't care. But he does it smartly, does it resolutely. Personnel, policy, articulation, dedication. The guy freaking cares. So isn't it worth fighting for that? You know, I I could easily stay out of that controversy. Ooh, okay, just like straddle both sides. I have a lot of issues that people would respect me among all, you know, ardent Trump supporters. Why create that division? I'll get many more listeners and followers if I do that. But we're not going to get anywhere if you don't have a leader. We don't have it in the House. We don't have it in any state. We certainly don't have it in the Senate. We don't have it in the NGOs and the think tanks and, and conservative media. There's one man. And he happens to just be the man that is best positioned for this. Take yes for an answer. So before we lose uh, more time, I I wanted to get to so much with the synagogue in Tunisia being burned to the ground because of the blood libel of the media. Um, So many other things going on there we'll get to tomorrow. But I want to get to Iowa. So folks, as I mentioned before, the biggest obstacle that I'm finding at this point is self-fulfilling. The biggest obstacle to people doing the right thing is, look, the guy's already high. He's gotten in the bag. I, I see this even from a lot of conservative influencers privately. They know what we know. You can't miss it. Any sane person sees it. They see the greatest leadership we've ever had in our generation. 
juxtaposed to basically the Republican version of Fetterman. But look, it's inevitable, so we just got to make the best of it. You know, that's the game now. It used to be, Daniel, shut up. We got to beat the Democrats. So you weren't able to you know, pressure a Republican in a general election. You got to just be, be quiet. Now you're not even allowed to have a primary because it's inevitable. So then you can't even have a primary. Well, you know, we could wait a couple months, see what happens. So, you know, I don't want to give false hope, but I also don't want to miss certain signals that are going on. As you well know, this is not a horse race show. It's a value show. It's a strategic show. It's an activism show. I'm not into horse race because most people who are, they suck at it anyway. And, you know, what does that do for us? Oh, this guy's up. This guy's at this in the polls. This guy's at that. I mean, anyone could do that. And usually people are wrong. Um, but in this case, look, obviously, you look at all the polls unanimously as Trump way ahead. DeSantis was even going down for a while. Things stopped going down, but still a huge, huge gap. And, you know, even in Iowa, it is still still big, big gap there. But remember, this is not a 50-state race. It all boils down to Iowa. If DeSantis wins Iowa, then that entire inevitability crumbles, and it's a domino effect. I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but it's certainly worth fighting for. That That is a different dynamic. It's a game-changer. So then the question is, what is the likelihood he wins Iowa itself? What is going on? You know, putting aside just Trump or DeSantis, there are some very uncanny things going on from a political science perspective. The polls just don't seem to reflect reality, even if you think Trump is ahead, ahead big, but they're still kind of weird the way they're all going. Um, if you believe that uh, on the one, no, no one believes that on the ground in Iowa. On the other hand, it's almost like there isn't a lot of intensity at all with the caucuses. What are the caucuses? How are they going to matter? And this little tiny state with this funny-looking process of caucuses, that might make all the difference, and not just about DeSantis, but that might provide the blueprint that we've been talking about for the future of the difference, the dichotomy in outcomes between primaries versus a process like a convention or even a caucus, which is somewhere in the middle that vets out a certain degree of low-information garbage that will actually result in more Republican nominees for all sorts of offices that reflect our values better than what we have. Now, with us to discuss this is Matt Wells. Matt Wells is uh, the Iowa, the Washington County, Iowa chair for the DeSantis uh, campaign. But more than a DeSantis campaign person, he's a longtime listener to this show, to Blaze Media. He is part of our Constitution Action team in Iowa, focusing mainly on the state legislature there. A strong Christian, and he has a lot of experience with local and state campaigns. So I wanted to pick his brain on what's going on there and for you guys to get a, get a front row glimpse of what is and isn't happening, where the momentum is, where the chances are. Hey, Matt, I know you listen every day. Now you don't have to go and listen. You hear it live. Welcome here to Blaze Media. Well, thanks, Daniel. Um, I guess the best way that I would uh, uh, describe what I see just on a granular level here in Iowa, and I can relate this back to, say, 2016. I was heavily involved here and saw what was happening on the ground. And while I'll tack back to some stuff that Steve Day said, 
the overall atmosphere is that doesn't seem like there's as much uh, action here in Iowa. The only action really is from the DeSantis people. He's the only one that actually has a statewide campaign. But I guess we should explain to the listeners about what makes a caucus different than a primary. Now, I think I would tend to agree with you that uh, nominating conventions would be the ultimate in choosing this. But the caucus does get more people involved than, say, a convention might. But what it does do is it weeds out people who don't want to take the time. Um, what a caucus really is, is it means to meet. It's, that, that's literally the meaning of the word. So on January 15th of next year, you will have there are 1,631 Iowa precincts. They all have to meet somehow. Some of the counties do it differently, where they have all of the caucuses assemble in a giant hall. They hear from speakers, and then they break out into their own little disparate groups. Um, they'll do that in one of the larger counties here. On the other hand, like my county, we have 10 precincts. I've already organized them all for the descent. And let me make this clear. I'm a volunteer county chair here. So yeah, you're um, not a paid guru. In, in other words, no. you're more one of us. That's why I said you're more one of our listeners who feels strongly. So you got involved with him, but you're involved in all sorts of activism. Oh, you're not a paid yeah. guy. It's all volunteers at a county level. And uh, yep. by the way, you, your your Twitter is Big Red Mat ten eleven Big Red Mat ten eleven to follow mm -hmm. for updates. But go on and explain what is the time? What takes the time? How would how does the voting actually occur? What's the process? And then why does that vet out some of the low info? Okay, so you have to so fast forward to January fifteenth. You have to be in the room, signed in when they call the meeting to order. It's run by Robert's Rules of Order, just like any other kind of uh, meeting would be, like you know, a legal meeting kind of thing. Um, once that meeting's gaveled in, if you're not in the room and signed in, you can't vote, period. You're out. So you have to be in the meeting. You have to be a registered Republican at the time of the, at the, time of the vote. So it weeds out... It's not an open primary process no or anything like voting, that. No early voting, no voting all nope. day, all month, all week. You know, nope. Republican, it's... you have to show up at that time. Okay. Yep, voting hour. So then that meeting is not just to express your presidential preference. It actually is where you elect your county central committee members for the Republican Party. It's where you elect your uh, delegate to the county convention, which would then allow you to run for delegate to the district, to the state, and then eventually for the RNC if you wanted. So that's where it all starts here in Iowa. And because we have a community process to do that, we have much more say in who represents us at the party level. Unfortunately, right now, because Donald Trump was the nominee last time and ha has been around, there's a lot of Trump people in these organizations. Well, they tend to drag their feet on local issues because it just doesn't tickle their fancy, really. So it's, uh, it's up to us to try to move that along. We've had to go out and around the party establishment here in Iowa to get good people elected to the state house. Um, we did that last year. We kicked out six. And this is partly because of the organization that you put together, Daniel, but also just grassroots people. And I will say this, you know, some of us have some questions about our governor sometimes but i will say she helped us primary out those yeah. six people um she helped throw out six bad republicans last year we threw them out we got six good republicans in and the 
the, especially on social issues, the agenda moved way to our liking last year. So Iowa is an activist-based state, and that's mainly because of the caucus. The caucus allows us to organize on a county-by-county county level because of the way the nature of it, yeah. because you have to meet. You have to talk to your neighbors, and they have to be interested in showing up. And the weird thing is, is there's probably 15 to 20 percent of the people that show up at a caucus still undecided. And here's where the organizational efforts of the DeSantis campaign and the organizational efforts of Never Back Down, the pact that Ken Cuccinelli started, really come into play. You get a chance. After all that other stuff's done, you go to the presidential preference poll, a lot of P's there, poll portion of the caucus. Then you have a chance for three minutes. Each candidate is going to have a chance to have one of their representatives get up and give a speech on their behalf. And then it's after all those speeches are done that you can then they give you a slip of paper. You have to write the name down. You put it in the hat. You take it up front and the, the chair of the caucus and the secretary of the caucus will hand count the ballots. I, as a representative for the DeSantis campaign, would be looking over their shoulder watching them. And then I can text to the campaign directly that from my caucus, hey, you know, we won with this many votes, or this is how many votes we got, whatever. And it's an instant thing, and then they, they fill out a form, they enter it digitally, and then they actually courier it to Des Moines the next morning, so they have all, it's all backstopped. There's no way to fudge a Republican caucus. We heard all of this garbage about the Democrat caucuses in 2020. We don't even know who won that yet, but they did a wholly different caucus. They had this horse trading thing. It, it was almost like ranked choice voting. The Republicans are not like that. It's just a straight up secret ballot. And so, that, so in other words, after what's important is it's still a secret ballot, but the broader process is not so secret in the respect that, you know, people get, get in each other's faces. I don't mean in, in a confrontational way, but someone gives a speech. There's, you know, obviously persuasion going on there. It's a process that you sit for. Um, it's not just you go into some sort of curtain or some sort of station, fill your thing. Uh, usually I never talk to a soul and, and you leave the room. Here, it's it's more interactive, but then eventually the ballot is secret. Um, so you're saying that the commitment, the way it's done, the timing, in conjunction with the fact that you're electing the activists for the county party positions, makes it more of a high information-driven effect. And would you agree with this statement that if you look at the dichotomy in Iowa, because I was interesting. It's not that everything's a caucus. It's presidential year as a caucus and then those party positions. But when you elect Congress and the governor and and Senate, it it's not. And it shows. I mean, Chuck Grassley crushed the guy we were supporting last year. Um, that was a primary where so the primaries generally you're not having, you know, good results, at least not until now. Whereas if you look at the presidential caucuses in each one of them. Now, they're not all perfect, but I'm saying relative to the establishment at the time, Huckabee beat out, you know, McCain and Romney, and then, uh, you know, Santorum technically won against Romney against all odds, and uh, Cruz beat uh, Trump. So that kind of, that was driven by the activists. I think everyone would agree with what you're saying, but I want to take this to the next level, because what I would come back at you is say, look, 
Matt, isn't this a lost cause? I mean, he's been running for months. He's been so on message, has all this organization. Yes, I understand that ground game, especially with a caucus, is going to make up a certain amount of points. But let's say with Cruz, let's say it was off by an 11-12 point swing. Here, most polls, I'm looking at RCP, they would roughly have Trump at 50 and DeSantis at 20. Isn't that too much of a gap for, for that to make a difference? Well, I can add on to that, though. I've been doing my own canvassing. Um, Never Back Down does a ton of can- I mean, they've knocked on basically every Republican door twice already. What, what we're starting to do now, though, is starting to branch out into like volunteer canvassing like what I do. I'm As the county chair, I'm knocking on these doors saying, hey, I live in your area. I put my phone number on the, the door hangers and all of that. So this isn't, I mean, I guess it technically is anecdotal, but it's data-driven because that's where the doors that I'm going to are based off of. It's Chris Wilson's data and all this kind of stuff that's telling us what doors that we need to go to. The Trump support that I see Maybe one in six is really welded to Donald Trump, Daniel. It's not an overwhelming, you know, juggernaut of support. A lot of it, frankly, is the name. It, that's it. That They've been voting for the dude for eight yeah. years, and that's all that it is. All it takes is about five minutes of just a simple discussion at the door. It also helps that I have a whole bunch of little video clips queued up on my iPad that I use when I go, it's really easy. You know, you can catch Trump stepping in it all the time, but I flipped a bunch of these people because they just don't know the media is so it's not even bifurcated. It's just shattered into all these little disparate parts. Now we don't have Fox rush and drudge anymore. Like what we did eight years ago, we have thousands of sources. Now you're still here. Steve Dace is still here, but it's like every other thing is shattered into a million pieces. And the only people that watch TV are boomers. So what I found is the younger people tend to be softer in their support of Trump. They're very easy to flip. And this is, again, that's the activist part of it coming into play. You know, isn't Iowa very old electorate? Not as old as what it used to be, but the, here's the thing. The, the caucus isn't necessarily driven by that. It is an older electorate. Yes, we are. But because of the nature of the caucus, it's really cold. Typically the day of the, I mean, it's, you can almost put it on, it's going to be close to zero degrees. A lot of the times on caucus. I mean, that's just the way that it is. That does dissuade a lot of older folks from getting out. But what we're seeing here in Iowa is a shift in the, in the activist base, the type of people that will show up at the caucus. And I've been, this is just on the ground seat of the pants analysis here, because you can ask Steve Dace, it's the parents, it's parents of children, high school and younger age children that are driving a lot of the change here in Iowa. That is the, and that's the base that Ron DeSantis has really tapped into here. Uh, You go to any of his events, and they are loaded with people with kids. That's, mm. that's the difference. And those people will pull more people with them to the caucus. That's, so, again, it all comes down to organizing. And this is something that I think we need to get across to the listeners. It's, 
you have to take your citizenship in your own hands. You can't just farm it out and go fill in a little bubble on a ballot on election day and then just mail it yes. in if you have problems. If you're if you're willing to just accept whatever's coming, fine, just go vote in a primary. I don't whatever. But and to your point, I would love to see Iowa go to a caucus system for all of our nominating purposes really because it's impossible to dislodge somebody like Chuck Grassley or even it might be possible to dislodge Joni Ernst. I'm not sure. sure. There's some wins that way, but it's very hard because of the money needed, you know, at these local. But, but why, why? Let me push back on that. Why is Trump not like Grassley in the respect that I, I, this is what we've all seen for so many years, that it's the guy with the name ID. It's just the guy that has all the incumbency. You're right. There, there's not a lot of intensity behind them. Um, when we were doing Kentucky in the primary, there weren't people that intensely loved McConnell, but that was the default. So we'd have all these people, the energy on the ground, and I feel it, and I just feel it in my bones. The excitement's all for the challenger. And it's true. But then the incumbent would win every damn time two to one because it's just they have the default number. So where do you see that paradigm changing here with DeSantis? That paradigm changes in the caucus room. Because, like I said, there, there's a lot of that soft Trump support, right? Well, if, like us, we will have all of these caucus sites organized with somebody who will be trained up to speak on behalf of Governor DeSantis, and you will move possibly 20% of the people in your room that night. And that's where the caucus wow. makes such a difference. Because people go in there. There's an old axiom in Iowa politics, Daniel. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I mean, I hear this all the time. You know, two old farmers are sitting in the local diner over coffee, deciding on who they're going to vote for. And they say, well, you're going to vote for so-and-so. Well, good grief. No, I've only met him twice. Iowans are that way. Iowans want to. And this is the one thing that the Trump people aren't taking into consideration. He's not really meeting people here. He's going and doing a couple rallies. Most of them not all that well attended now, you know, brief two, three, four hundred people. I think the largest one that he's had in Iowa this cycle, outside of the very first one that he did, I think maybe had 1,500, has been around 1,000. But he's only doing seven of those. So at best, he's going to meet with, I don't know, 3,500, 4,000 Iowans. And here's the other thing. Those are the people that have already, they were going to vote for him anyways, and they're just going to his events. This is the other part that you don't see on the national media. Ron DeSantis is going to, to counties like down along the, the southern border. All of the southern border counties along the Missouri line are tiny counties. There's almost no people in them. Two counties south of me along the Missouri border, two Saturdays ago, Ron DeSantis went into a town. The town is 900 people. It's the largest town in the county. Get it? Hmm. There was a hundred and I think it was 115 or so, not part of the pack or anything like that that was doing the bus tour, showed up on a Saturday afternoon. That makes something important because Saturday is like football day in Iowa. You got the Hawkeyes, you got the Cyclones, you got all these other small colleges and all that. That's what most people do on Saturdays, unless they're in the field harvesting or whatever. They showed up in a town of 900. There was over 100 people in a town of 900 people that showed up to see Ron DeSantis. I didn't see that ever 
with the Cruz campaign. And we won the state with the most votes ever. So there is energy on the ground that I'm that you're starting to see now, but it's only towards that one guy. At least roots level. And that's what gives me a little bit of hope here. And maybe maybe we don't deserve Ron DeSantis, Daniel. No, we don't. Because I will say I will say this. I have spent tons of time around him and his family. And he's different than any other politician I've ever met. And I've met I've met them all. Here in Iowa, we get an outsized seat at this table because we we can meet them all. I've met over the last eight years, it's hard to count. I mean, 13, 16, whatever it was eight years ago, all of them this cycle, I have met. I mean, I sat in the Lincoln dinner, but, and, and then I got a chance to meet them all afterwards. But I have never met anybody in politics like him because he doesn't – he's the same in person yes. as he is behind closed doors with no media. I've been in long meetings with him and just like 15 other people here in Iowa discussing – you know, policy and caucus and all of that. I've been, I, I just hosted uh, the governor and his whole family at church a couple Sundays ago. And they're just people. That's the difference between him and all of these other people running. And that's, that's why I'm working so hard for him. Really. I, I've, I've never met anybody like him because he is just who he is. He's not, entertained by nonsense you know if you ask him a stupid question you're probably going to get a short answer which hello that's what it should be um but the other thing that comes into play is that he is now starting to drive when he gets into a place and starts recruiting volunteers on his own people will work for him i had a conversation yesterday with somebody and i won't give out names here Somebody from his actual administration in Florida reached out to me through Twitter, said, hey, you know, I'm thinking about taking some time on vacation to come up there and just work for the guy who I work for down here in Florida. And he wanted to know what Iowa was like. And we talked for 35 minutes because he wanted to know what to expect if he came up to Iowa. I did tell him, I mean, if you're from Florida, you're going to have to buy a lot more clothes. But that's the kind of dedication that I'm getting. Um, it's... So, it's different. So, look, I, I, there's a lot of good stuff. I, we're running out of time here, but I did want to mention to you, everyone's going to ask the 800-pound gorilla question. So are you suggesting the polls are a complete psyop and every one of them's wrong, or is it just kind of superficial? What, what would you say about that? It's very superficial. Also, uh, Steve Dace and Chris Wilson talked a couple weeks ago. It's very, very, very hard to poll Iowa right now because you're skewing to that older baby boomer Trump base when you poll. Those are the only people that pick up the phone, Daniel. They're having to call like 12 people to get one response, which is very bad anyways. It's hard. You know, it costs a lot. But so then you get the digital polls. Most people won't take those either. They think they're spam because you get a text message from some random number and says, here, click on me. It looks like spam. So it's very, very difficult to pull. Also, Iowa is just historically hard to pull because it's hard to peg the less than 200,000 people that will show up out of 700,000 people out of a state of 3.2 million people. So yep. 
And also you have a lot of new registered Republicans because yeah. it, it, Iowa is very close to Florida in the respect that it suddenly became a lot redder than it used to be. There's a lot more registered Republicans. So it is very, it's very volatile, very hard. I, what, what I kind of gather from what you're saying is that, look, he's going to have to close the gap you want to see over the next uh, two to two and a half months closing the gap another 10 to 15 points, you want to see that movement, and then you firmly believe that he could be pretty well behind, maybe 15 points behind on on the average of the polls going into the caucus, but still win? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, the Donald Trump had an average, it was over 10 points average before the caucus in 2016, and that was with a much more busted up i mean there were so many more people that were the bench was much deeper in 2016 i will say that because after ron DeSantis, you're left with nothing um (laughs) (laughs) really really nothing what you don't see nikki uh gaining traction there like she did in in new hampshire nikki is playing it the nikki is playing the marco rubio hand here in iowa she's going to all the large counties where there's lots of kind of soft Republican, yeah. you know, this, as Steve says, the softer side of Sears types, they're, they're not really serious. If they show up, they show up. If they don't, well, they're not going to be a big factor. Um, I don't see Vivek going anywhere. So I really, it's Trump and DeSantis. Now, in now, Iowa. Now what about That's the rural it. areas? So, so you're, you're in a very rural part of Southeast Iowa. Um, generally we have, you know, the rural areas are our best areas, but Trump has really captured that. Are you seeing in Iowa a little bit different? I don't see, and this I will agree with Steve on, you can drive down the highway and in 50 miles, you might see one Trump sign, maybe. In my town, in my town, there are two Trump signs and it's in one dude's yard. That's it. Whereas me, I've, you know, there's, 30 DeSantis signs in yards. So, and, so then, <laughs> Matt, Matt, then why so, is why is Chris Wilson, who's the pollster for not the campaign, but the DeSantis Super PAC, um, and he was Ted Cruz's pollster, and he really nailed it. I mean, he really, when everyone thought Trump was going to win there, he really nailed it. And again, here, obviously, DeSantis winning is a lot more impactful than Cruz, because there, it was really Trump who was ascendant. I mean, in, yeah. a few months before, he was expected to win Iowa, but in general, he was relatively new. Um, whereas now it's more, it's the old hat. It's inevitability. You break that. You also don't have the Carson business that Cruz had to deal with. Um, Trump was much stronger in New Hampshire than he is this time around. There's a lot more of a never Trump kind of component there. Some, some of them are, you know, not our type of people, but you would imagine they'd coalesce eventually. But so there's all that. And I, I certainly get that. But why is Chris Wilson predicting record turnout when we don't really see any energy. I think that goes back to the fact that what you just said, there's a lot more registered Republicans Mm. and the DeSantis people, especially are in our data are trying to reach those newly registered Republicans, because if they've never voted in a caucus, if you can walk them through how to get to the caucus, and you're seen as the one who's getting them involved in all of that sort of stuff. They become very easy to pull to your side. Um, the la- a couple other things that I think can't be glossed over here. Ron DeSantis, so Never Back Down has been doing all the advertising. And as a PAC, that's great. And they do some very good ads here, immigration issues and all of that. 
But the DeSantis campaign itself has bought a $2 million ad buy. And the campaigns themselves get a deep discount because of the way that FEC rules and go with, you know, FCC broadcast media. Um, they get a big, deep discount over what a pack might. Well, so $2 million in ad buys from now through the, through the caucus. And these will be ads in, in the governor's and in Casey DeSantis's words. So I'm very heartened with that because that I think will reach out to those slightly lower information people because it's really hard to ignore Casey DeSantis when she's talking about her husband. So, and she's a secret weapon, Daniel. She really is. When she's on, she'll get up for five, six, seven minutes on the stump and talk about her husband. And every woman in the room will come up to her afterwards and just want to pick her brain. And it's really something to see. That's the type of things here in Iowa that I see lining up. And the reason I think you're going to see more turnout is mainly one, we're going after those people that have newly registered and have never been to a caucus. Cause we can tell, you can see that in the data, they don't show up in caucus. Also, it's just, well, I'll, here's the 800 pound grill in the room. Kim Reynolds is very friendly to the DeSantis campaign. Uh, that was my I'm next not, question. Let's say she I'm endorses. Not, how? Let's say she formally endorses sometime in the next two months. How much would that impact the race? Well, there's two. The Iowa governor in years past would not have impacted the race, and it might have actually been a boat anchor on your campaign. Terry Branstead was <laughs> one of those. I'll hold my nose and vote for the man. Kim Reynolds has in, has engendered a lot of support in the social conservative class, especially amongst parents with what she's done with education and just actually listening to us. I mean, she comes from the old Iowa kind of ag corporate wing of things, but she's actually listened to us on a lot of issues. And I will say this, if she does endorse, she has a statewide network that's never been seen in Iowa. And if they, if they, if that gets put to, I mean, that's how that's how they threw out those incumbents. But she leaned on them. Um, she has a statewide network here in Iowa that has never been seen before. She, I mean, she towed our our AG candidate across the finish line. Now, granted, Kim won by almost nineteen points, and the AG candidate won by a few. But it was the the power of her pulling people. That's how we flipped on all but one of the statewide offices here. Um, it's it's different in Iowa now. The, the the climate is different in Iowa. Add to that, I believe Bob Vanderplatz will back Governor DeSantis. I'm not going to put words in his mouth, sure. but if you just listen to him talk about you it, got, you got to imagine he help. would. And 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 you believe that's kind of the first base. That's kind of like it's a one-two. That that will kind of close the gap, make it that it's kind of a respectable oh, yeah. margin. And then you think the ground gig can make it up. And just to sum up your thesis, that. The typical kind of like, well, ground game will make it up that we all kind of roll our eyes at like, yeah, that's wishful thinking. The difference is that's in a primary state, um, whereas the caucuses make all the difference in terms of yep. that gap. And Trump, you know, DeSantis seems to have a better organization than even Cruz. And and conversely, Trump seems to have a worse organization than he had in 2016 because it's it's literally like a truth social campaign and then some of these videos he puts out from his office um and shows you know comes does some big events once in a while like you said no big stadiums anymore and then goes home so there's not a lot going on there i think that's out in the open 
we're not trying to sell you guys on like DeSantis absolutely will win the nomination or even win Iowa, but the notion that this is over with and not within oh. field goal rate field goal range that you could fight for and the next couple months like to me it doesn't make any sense i you know i like the car but it's over with and so we don't want trump to be damaged that's bullcrap i mean we only got a couple months here we're not talking about forever now is when it's teetering right you can make it happen yep. if we would yep. if everyone who has a voice would get in that actually would have likely put it over the top in itself so it's self-fulfilling nonsense um Man, we're pretty much out of time, but just as briefly as you can, it deserves its own show. What is your message for churches? So I will be very, I'll try to be as brief with this as I can. I'm, I'm a member of a, we're not part of a denomination, we're a Baptist church, but we take our civic duty very seriously. My pastor has personally endorsed Governor DeSantis. All three of my pastors actually have all, all of the full-time staff at my church has. We're the first church to have a presidential candidate come and address a service. Um, a couple members of the Super PAC had been to my church. I invited them way back in July. They came. They were so just blown away by the spirit of the place and by my pastor's my pastor being unafraid to speak on like things like sin. Imagine that. Um, that they said, quote, we've got to get the governor here. And it just happened to be that they were going to be in the area, and they got him here. And the, the DeSantis family was just blown away by the outreach that we have. I mean, to the point that Governor DeSantis has conversed with my pastor personally. He, that's something he keeps a very small circle because he wants to make sure who is in his circle. And my pastor is now part of that, which is awesome. But churches on the whole aren't like us. We get involved in primaries. We helped our own house rep when she had a primary with a left-wing guy trying to primary her in the Republican primary. We said, okay, we can't have this. One Saturday afternoon in May, we had 25 people canvass the whole county. Okay. Um, but no other church in, that I know of in the area will do that. Churches have given up their birthright as the pillar and ground of truth in society. And it frustrates me when I see people going to a church on a Sunday morning for an hour, and that's all that they yes. do. Pastors aren't being – it's one of two things. Either you have a very weak pastor, and through that leadership you have a weak congregation, or you have a pastor who would do that, but the people in the congregation would pour cold water over him. So it's chicken or the egg, I guess, there. But in the end, it ends up in the same place. What for men of God to stand up and say, listen, we're being pushed around. And from the New Testament, Jesus said to occupy until I come again. Well, so if you go back into the original Greek, that occupy is the same term that you would use for a military occupation of a land. Which is what the That's left the does. They occupy, they have their churches. Um, whether they're formally exactly. called churches or or they're not, they're the pagan institutions. But the point is, I mean, and, and this reverberates well beyond this primary. It's just in general, and I think that's part of the broad messaging, high information, godly voters in red parts of the country making it red. You gave great insights on the caucuses, but also we have conaction.network. You could sign up for Red State Team, certainly Iowa. You, uh, our, our friend Julie, who, who has helped organize that. 
uh, you know, the state legislatures, the down the ballot th- things. And and yes, you need to get, you know, political organizations set up, but you you, you cannot stay neutral religiously. This yeah. is a religious war at, at its core. Um, we're, we're totally out of time, Matt. Big Red Matt 1011 on Twitter. We'll definitely have you back for an update as things progress. And folks, thank you all for listening. God bless you all. We'll see you tomorrow.